Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, March 31st, 2023. It's been 3,320 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 401 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess the Russian winter offensive has culminated, and I think this can go without saying in the future. Second, we assess that the Russian armed forces are combat ineffective, and beyond Bakhmut are only capable of point and localized attacks. Third, we assess that the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut remains in a critical state and is fluid, with defensive lines protecting the ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, stabilized. Fourth, we maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, that's seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. Fifth, We maintain that Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions. Sixth, we maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid remains as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Seventh, we maintain that the Russian MOD has degraded the political and military strength and influence of private military company or PMC Wagner Group and its leader Yevgeny Prigozhin. This can probably also go without saying from here on out. And finally, we maintain that the Kremlin is actively interfering with the governments of Moldova and Georgia to derail the European Union membership accession process and destabilize their current governments. One year ago yesterday, on March 30, 2022, in Cherniv, Ukrainian forces liberated the settlement of Sloboda, while Russian forces attacked the city of Cherniv with artillery and airstrikes. Russian troops set up a temporary defensive line at the Snov River to support the ongoing retreat. In Kharkiv, Ukrainian forces liberated Malaya Rohan, and retreating Russian troops blew up the Seversky Donets Bridge in Chukhuyiv. Heavy fighting continued in Izum, and Russian forces continued attacks on Kamyanka and Sucha Kamyanka. In Sumy, the settlements of Krasnopilia and Slovhorod were liberated, and the flanks of the Russian G-lock west of Sumy were being attacked from the north and south. 
Russian forces established a helicopter base in Chaplinka, in Kherson near Crimea, and Russian cruise missiles hit a fuel depot in Novomoskovsk. Heavy fighting continued in Mariupol, with no new territorial gains by Russian troops. The Kremlin announced a green corridor would be available for civilians to evacuate to Russian-occupied Berdyansk through the filtration camp in Manhush. The Russian VKS bombed a marked Red Cross warehouse in Mariupol, although the Red Cross had left the city over a week earlier. The Russian VKS bombed a marked Red Cross warehouse in Mariupol, although the Red Cross had left the city over a week earlier. In the northeastern part of Donetsk, Russian forces captured Terny. Ukrainian forces liberated Kukhari in Kyiv and continued fighting around Bucha and Hostomel. Ukrainian forces clearing Irpin started finding the first signs of Russian war crimes. There was significant chatter on Russian social media channels that Russian troops were ordered to kill civilians as they retreated. Reports from Belarus claimed that Russian troops stationed in the Chernobyl exclusion zone were arriving in area hospitals suffering from radiation exposure, which absolutely no one could have seen coming. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. Local officials reported that the city of Kharkiv was hit by six Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. At the time of recording, there was no information on damage. Otherwise, the Dvorichna and Kupyansk operational areas were stable, with Russian and Ukrainian forces trading artillery strikes. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Russian VGTRK war correspondent Andriy Rudenko reported that the front in Luhansk was covered in a, quote, thick layer of snow, and despite conditions, fighting continued. In the Svatova operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and the Russian MOD reported that Novoselivsky was shelled, while Russian mercenary mill blogger Worgonzo reported Russian forces attacked the settlement, but the advance failed. Russian forces attempted to advance on Stelmachivka using squad and platoon-sized units, with Ukrainian forces repelling the attacks. In the Kremina operational area, positional fighting was ongoing near Nevsky. Positional fighting between squad and platoon-sized units continued in the forested areas west of Kremina, with Russian forces attempting to advance in the direction of Terny. The GSAFU reported that Russian forces tried to advance out of the village of Kuzmine, but were unsuccessful. In the Lysychansk operational area, fighting continued northeast and east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, reported that two rockets fired by HIMARS hit Troitsky, and the hospital suffered collateral damage. Officials claimed one person was killed and 14 wounded without providing any evidence. We could not independently verify the authenticity of the report. In northeast Donetsk, Russian forces continued their attempts to advance west out of Berestova and along the railroad line toward Vyemka without success. In the Bakhmut operational area, unaffiliated Russian state media war correspondents reported that PMC Wagner had, quote, changed tactics in Bakhmut and was concentrating forces to make point attacks to, quote, 
storm promising areas. While point attacks were presented as a military innovation, this is likely a tool of necessity due to dwindling combat power. We reported yesterday that the United States Department of Defense claimed Wagner has about 6,000 fighters within Bakhmut. PMC Wagner released a short video claiming they had captured 19 Ukrainian soldiers and were detaining them in a school building. The video was widely shared within Russian social media channels, noting that Ukrainian forces now have, quote, numerical superiority in Bakhmut. In a story published in the New York Times, Ukrainian Colonel Yevhen Mezhevikin stated yesterday that Russian assaults in the Bakhmut area have slowed and that Ukrainian forces have thwarted an imminent threat of encirclement. Serhii Cherevatsi, an Operational Command East or OKE spokesperson, said that Russian forces launched 28 attacks in the Bakhmut area. In contrast, a month ago, PMC Wagner launched 34 attacks just on Orekhovo Vasilivka. Some assessment. Ukrainian forces have stabilized their defensive lines north and south of Bakhmut. PMC Wagner can't advance to the T-506 Highway G-Lock in Khomova or the T-504 Highway G-Lock near Ivanivske. The number of reported attacks and their intensity outside of Bakhmut has notably declined. Russia's use of point attacks indicates they are now trying to conserve personnel versus the human wave attacks from late December to mid-March. Ukrainian forces are hugging Wagner mercenaries, making using artillery and airstrikes on Ukrainian defensive positions challenging. North of Bakhmut, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting in the area of Orekhovo-Vasilivka, with no change in the situation. PMC Wagner continued limited attacks north of Bosdanivka and Khromova and remained unsuccessful. In Bakhmut, fighting continued to the north, south, and east. Russian sources reported fighting in the area of the city administration building, validating our assessment from March 29th that Russian gains along Miru Street and north of Mariupolska Street were somewhat overstated. To the north, fighting continued on Zelena Street and the east bank of the Pivnichny Reservoir. To the east, fighting was ongoing in the central market area. Fighting also continued on Korsunskoho Street, with recent claims that PMC Wagner had reached or was in sight of the former MiG-17 statue also a bit overstated. Somewhere in the Bakhmut area, a video emerged of a Ukrainian defensive position overflowing with Russian light weapons and machine guns captured from dead PMC Wagner troops involved in failed human wave attacks. Overflowing is not an exaggeration. We link to the video in our full situation report on Patreon, along with most of the other photos and videos we reference here on the podcast, so you can see for yourself. Russian mercenary mill bloggers Rybar and Wargonzo claimed fighting continues south of Ivanivsky with no change to the situation. In southwest Donetsk, the heightened operational tempo continued in the northern sector of the Avdiivka operational area. Russian forces attempted to advance on Novokalinove, Novobakhmutivka, Stepova, and southwest out of Krasnohorivka. None of the Russian offensives were successful. Russian forces continued point attacks on the edges of Avdiivka, which were repulsed. The Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor Pavlo Kirilenko reported that Avdiivka was only sporadically shelled, 
and was not attacked by Russian air assets. South of Avdiivka, the First Army Corps continued attempts to advance on Sieverne, suffered significant personnel losses and up to four armored vehicles, and were forced to retreat to the northern edge of Vodyana. Ukrainian forces continue attempting to push back into the settlement from the west. Ukrainian forces also repulsed a Russian attempt to advance deeper into Pervomaisky from Piski. In the Marinka operational area, the 1st Army Corps attempted to advance on Krasnohorivka without success. Fighting in the former central district of Marinka continued. In Mariupol, before the arrival of yesterday's snowstorm, insurgents recorded a convoy of Russian trucks carrying ammunition in the direction of Manhush. Officials in occupied Donetsk reported that the March 30th snowstorm dropped a record amount of precipitation on the city. Blizzard conditions hit eastern Luhansk, Donetsk, and parts of the Rostov region in Russia, and at the time of recording, some people had been trapped in their cars for over 18 hours. Bezdorizhia will be a problem for both combatants in the week ahead, but the impact will be greater in the rear areas for Russian troops. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Zaporizhia. The Zaporizhia Regional Military Administration reported 56 Russian artillery strikes along the entire line of conflict using tanks, multiple launch rocket systems, and artillery. Ukrainian forces continue to target electronic warfare, radar, and air defense assets along the line of conflict south of Huliapola and Orekhiv. Some assessment? There's not enough intensity of activity to determine if Ukrainian forces are in the early stages of setting conditions for a larger attack, or if this is an attempt to relieve communities north of the current line of conflict. Russian forces launched a series of, quote, rocket attacks on the city of Zaporizhia and its suburbs. The language didn't specify if the attacks were from Uragan, Tornado S, or S-300 anti-aircraft missiles. Civilian infrastructure was damaged in the attack. The day after Renat Karcha, an advisor to the head of Rosatom, told Russian state media that Rafael Grossi, the director general of the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, quote, saw that no offensive weapons are present, end quote, at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, Rosatom released pictures of Russian military hardware including a Seaburn monitoring armored personnel carrier at ZNPP. They should probably work on synchronizing their messaging. Director General Grossi released a summary of his tour of ZNPP. Grossi indicated he's given up on his plans to demilitarize Europe's largest nuclear power plant and will focus on what should be avoided to ensure its protection rather than territorial control, saying, quote, It is a work in progress. It is very, very important that we agree on the fundamental principle that a nuclear plant should not be attacked under any circumstances, and it also shouldn't be used to attack others. The visit was essential for me to make my own assessment of the gravity of the situation. End quote. Grossi added that he observed a buildup of military equipment and forces in the area, saying, quote, It is obvious that military activity is increasing in this whole region. 
There is open talk of offensives and counteroffensives. This area is facing perhaps a more dangerous phase in terms of the ongoing conflict. End quote. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported there were four vessels of the Black Sea Fleet on patrol, including one Kilo-class submarine capable of launching up to four caliber cruise missiles. According to military mill blogger Alexander Kovalenko, the large landing ships Cesar Kunikov and Novocherkask remain unrepaired after last year's attack on Berdyansk. It was reported last year that repairs were impossible due to sanctions and required parts are only available from Ukraine and Poland. The Cesar Kunikov was heavily damaged when a Ukrainian Tachka-U short-range ballistic missile struck the LSS Saratov, sinking the vessel. The Cesar Kunikov was heavily damaged last year when a Ukrainian Tachka-U short-range ballistic missile struck and sank the LSS Saratov. Insurgents in occupied Crimea reported from May to June 2023 Simferopol City Hospital No. 7 will be completely converted into a military hospital. The hospital currently treats 10 to 20 Russian military personnel on any given day, with occupiers adding 50 beds to the facility. The conversion is being led by Russian collaborator and head physician Svetlana Soldatenko. In western and central Ukraine in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces fired on each other's positions across the Dnipro River. Russian forces completed 64 fire missions, firing 243 artillery rounds, mortars, rockets, and indirect tank fire, attacking the city of Kherson nine times, killing one and wounding two. The village of Lvova was apparently hit by a Fab 500 JDAM-ER, launched by Russian Su-35 multi-role fighter aircraft. The blast left a massive crater, but there were no injuries. After Russian sources claimed that the damaged locks at the Kohovka Dam had been partially repaired, Ukrainian sources reported water is still flowing out of the dam at an alarming rate. It's unclear if this is because repair attempts failed, if there is an increase in flow from recent rain and snow to the north, or if this is an intentional act by Russian occupation forces on the left bank. Ukrainian forces shelled Russian-occupied Olishki, Holopristan, Nechaev, and Kostokhrizova. On the Russian front, the weather system we've been tracking since Sunday arrived 18 hours earlier and more southeast than the model's forecast, bringing over 30 centimeters of snow for our U.S. American audience, that's almost a foot, and blizzard conditions to the Rostov region of Russia and the eastern parts of the LNR and DNR. Near Shakti, traffic was at a standstill for over 18 hours on a 30- to 50-kilometer stretch of the M4 highway. Some people abandoned their vehicles and walked to nearby villages despite fierce winds, near whiteout conditions, and drifts three meters high. Again, for the U.S. American audience, that's nearly 10 feet. When the highway had already gridlocked earlier in the day, local officials said conditions were difficult, but the road was still passable. People reported to Russian state media and on social media channels that they were not provided any assistance, and it was, quote, unrealistic to attempt to get to emergency heating points. 
and in Finland they probably nearly smiled and said, Ah, spring. The A260 highway, which leads to the Izvadene border crossing into occupied Luhansk, was also snarled by the weather. Local officials set up an emergency relief station at the M4 and A260 highway junction. At the time of recording, a 30-kilometer stretch of the M4 highway between Shakhti and Kamensk-Shakhtinsk remained closed due to thousands of stuck and wrecked cars and trucks. The problems on the M4 are impacting two more border crossings into occupied Ukraine at Bolzhansky and Voznesenivka. Just 65 kilometers to the south, in Rostov-on-Don, the region received 4 to 7 centimeters of snow. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Russia launched 10 Shahed-136 kamikaze drones, one surveillance drone and five decoys, likely balloons, with eight drones targeting Kyiv. Nine of the ten drones were shot down by air defense. In a 276 to naught vote, the Turkish parliament ratified Finland's accession into NATO, making the Nordic nation with a 1,300-kilometer-long border with Russia the 31st member of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. The Russian Federation reversed its decision to no longer share information about nuclear war readiness tests, training exercises, and systems tests. Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov said, quote, As a gesture of goodwill, the Russian Federation will notify the United States of launches of intercontinental ballistic missiles and submarine missiles under the 1988 treaty despite the suspension by Vladimir Putin of the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, or START. End quote. Okay, quick sidebar. When the Kremlin suspended its participation in the treaty, they initially stated they were only suspending the direct inspection of weapons and launch systems to assure compliance with the treaty's caps. This is a very Russian-style goodwill gesture. Speaking of gestures, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. Russian President Vladimir Putin signed a decree for the spring conscription into the Russian Federation Armed Services, setting a quota of 147,000 new service members. This is part of the regular twice-a-year conscription process. In November 2022, 120,000 were called up in addition to the 218,000 mobilized, and in April 2022, 134,500 were conscripted. Under Russian law, men called to duty through the biannual conscription process serve for one year and are not supposed to be sent into combat areas beyond national defense. The illegal annexation of Luhansk, Donetsk, Crimea, Zaporizhia, and Kherson creates a bit of a legal loophole, enabling the sending of conscripts into frontline combat. A military court convicted one of the first refuseniks tried under the September 21, 2022 Russian mobilization decree to evade the performance of military service duties and not wanting to do military service, the Mobik arbitrarily left his military unit in Sevastopol. Law enforcement officers detained the man on January 25. In court, the former contract soldier pleaded guilty and explained the act by his unwillingness to participate in the war against Ukraine 
and, in general, to do military service. The Crimean Garrison Military Court found him guilty of desertion and sentenced him to nine years in prison in a strict regime colony, one year short of the maximum sentence. We've previously noted that every piece of Russian military hardware that appears on a railroad car would be declared destined for Ukraine. Pictures captured a dozen MT-1200 mm smoothbore anti-tank guns on a train in eastern Russia. The mobile artillery pieces were introduced in the 1960s and used the same 100 mm ammunition as the Russian T-54, T-55 tanks sent to Ukraine. We can't validate if these weapons are Ukraine-bound, but it is an interesting development due to the shortage of ATGM weapons and the shared ammunition with the T-54, T-55 medium-duty tanks. Everything is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, the truth matters, even when the truth hurts. Documenting or suggesting that Ukraine has committed or may have committed a war crime is always challenging because of the slippery slope of false moral equivalency. We've documented over a thousand Russian war crimes against civilians and combatants in our situation reports. In Bucha alone, investigators have documented 9,000 Russian war crimes. However, the truth matters. A video has emerged of a Russian POW in the Svatova operational area that our team found concerning. The video has no violence, but he is being coerced by someone just off-camera, is under significant duress, and has been stripped to his underwear. As a policy, we don't share POW videos and pictures due to journalistic standards, but we do share POW videos when we are concerned for combatants' health, safety, and well-being. You'll find the link in our full situation report on Patreon. And finally, in economic news, due to sanctions and a parts shortage, Russian automaker Autovaz will shut down production at the end of April. And that's what we know. We have a special interview for you tomorrow, but join me again on Sunday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.